In the entitled town system, the people are represented by two separate yet equally important groups, the honks who investigate sports media crimes and the bobos who persecute the offenders. These are their stories. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. And I've been around, and, and, and when Jim Rice was booed, I've been around with Yosemite booed, and it stinks. It makes the greatest town, greatest city in the world lousy. This is Entitled Town. Episode 80 of Entitled Town. Let's get to everybody's favorite new segment. I'm going to throw it to Patrick. It's time for Four Down with Scartelli. Scartelli, you're the duplicitous duvet of discernment. The floor is yours. Thank you, Iron Face. All right. We got to go with uh, for downs one and two. These are on the Patriots defense. One is Dontrell Hillman and two is Donta Forehead or whoever these guys are. <laughs> the Pats defense let these slappies who have to sit on the wobbly chairs in the Titans running back room gallop for 100 yards a piece. That's not going to work in this NFL. And I don't want to hear no nothing about any Super Bowl 25. Blair, Thurman Thomas, Blair. So we move on to down three. Kendrick Bourne. Two touchdowns in the game. That's good, right? Wrong. You can't pretend an undrafted guy is going to become your WR1. Bourne is a bridge to nowhere. And closing things out, down number four, it's Mama Scartelli. Her Thanksgiving turkey stuffing, too bready, not enough sage. You're going to have to set it up and run it again. Sorry, Ma. Ugh, the stuffing sucked, caller. It sucked. It stunk. Well, enough of that. Uh, let's, let's get to the, the flip side of these four down with Scartelli. 36 to 13, the Patriots roll the Titans, despite what uh, some media might say. John, we were texting the first, the first series of the game. The special teams of the Patriots set the, the tone with the kickoff, uh, the Titans penalties, uh, the two punts on the first series. The first punt was called back with two penalties on the Titans, and it changed the field position almost 40 yards. Patriots score in the first series, and I felt like they had control of the game pretty much from there on out. The special teams, um, once again, it's, it doesn't get enough credit because uh, certain media members don't believe special teams exist, I think. But the, you're absolutely right. The audacity, I would say, of Mike Vrabel's Titans to return the opening kickoff out of the end zone, knowing the Patriots had a huge special teams advantage, which is probably even, I think Reese pointed this out in his notebook, probably accentuated by the, some of the injuries the Titans had, further thinning out their special teams. Yep. You know, so the, the hubris of taking that kickoff out of the end zone, getting a penalty, right, backing up further, getting another penalty on the punt, 32 yards of field position switching later. Gunnar Olszewski gets the ball, you know, takes it into Titan territory, and the Patriots have a 37-yard drive for a touchdown uh, on their first possession. You know, that was entirely driven by special teams' dominance uh, on the Patriots' side. So the, the, you know, a couple other things, I love talking about their special teams, but a couple other things, you know, the Titans are good. You know, I, you, you say you felt like the, the Patriots were in control, I think the Titans, they were, they were good. You know, Scarcy pointed it out Agreed. with his two downs. You've got, you know, Dontrell, you know, Hilliard and you know forehead foreman or whatever his name <laughs> is. right? You know, we know, we know who these guys are because we pay attention, but you know, the, the, they're the third, fourth string backs for Tennessee. They're committed to the run. They're a physical team. Um, there was some, some good footage I saw online. Uh, I think it was Baldinger, you know, showing the Titans, um, offensive line, you know, just the, the, the physicality of it. They did a nice job um, executing their offense with or without Derrick Henry. I mean, what's Derrick Henry going to run for 500 yards if Hilliard and Foreman run for 250? I mean, of course not. They ran the, the Derrick Henry offense with two other guys and, and executed it really well. So they're good. That's a good team. If the Patriots play them again, that's going to be a freaking battle. You know, they yep. eight minute drives. Uh, a couple different times, it seemed like Tennessee was controlling the ball, driving down the field. Patriots win on turnovers, though. That's their bend but don't break philosophy. You're going to make them, you know, execute 14 plays down the field. And if they make one mistake, the Patriots are going to capitalize on it. And I'll say this, the, the uh, Mac Jones, people dogging his performance in that game is pathetic, right? It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. The Titans were insisting they were going to make Mac Jones beat him, and he did. 
And I love the fact that at the end of the second quarter, Patriots have, you know, roughly 40 seconds left after Tennessee scored and they go pass, 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 pass down the field. And it's just a tiny little, you know, toe touch by Jacoby Myers out of bounds. That's probably the difference between Folk hitting that field goal at the end of the half and missing it. So the faith in Jones, the, the fact that a well-coached Vrabel Tennessee team is going to make Mac Jones beat him and the Patriots end up winning by 23, you know, I mean, I, th- th- if that's not, you know, something that's a good problem to have if there's problems with this team. I agree. The institutional knowledge, Mike, that Rabel has, and he's willing to take those, what's being given to his team and the mental toughness it takes to do that. The game just got away from them because they weren't able to make enough plays. And that's why you make teams take the short chunks. But what were your, what were your takeaways from the 23 point win at Foxborough? Yeah, I, I think that's where I was going. What you just said, the, I, I, I'm a believer in the institutional knowledge thing. Um, you, we've seen it with guy, a guy, guys like Mangini, where he kept you know the Jets in games against the 07 team. You know, came in there in 06 uh, and then beat them in Cleveland. Uh, Flores has had success uh, against against Bill. Uh, so I, I believe in that. And I think Vrabel is probably a better coach than those guys, even though he, he really bugs me. He's he's such a hardo. And of course, people like. <laughs> Burt Breer loving him with his dip in and throwing throwing the flag like team on the logo the, warming just, up on the yeah, logo yeah yeah in the push-ups it's just like, come on and I, you know part of it's the Ohio State thing and part of it yeah. is that I, yeah. I'm such a, a Brady uh, a Brewski guy comparatively and I want to believe that he did make that comment about joke about Brewski's stroke and Teddy wanted to to throttle him so I I'll continue to to believe that but uh, yeah, I think it goes to our point that we talk about quite a bit, which is NFL quality depth. And it's being being more about the system than yep. it is about anything else. And Derrick Henry might be the best running back in the league. But, you know, it's a guy. Um, it, it just shows that it's about the system and you can get uh, that replacement value. And I mean, I don't mean that in the baseball sense. I mean, it in NFL sense of average guys that can come in there and play really well in your system. That's, and that's what they did. Um, things I like though, uh, Jalen Mills, another one of Bill's, yes. uh, oh, oh, not even a target purchase, a, a, a Walmart purchase, <laughs> Jalen Mills, uh, who, uh, you know, great heads up play on the, on the fumble by uh, JC Jackson. Uh, staying in bounds with the slide, really great, and then com- comes back again on third down, uh, and and knocks down a pass. And I, I, I don't know where they'd be without without him. He's he's fantastic. He's been great, and um, a, a really good free agency signing. Uh, and that's that was really you know the running thing. They're good. They are good, and that's it. But you know they held them to what 90, 93 yards. When you're when when their passing yardage is a is an FM radio frequency, um, you've done a good job. So that's. <laughs> That's that's, that's really well put. It's a, again the point I was about to make. At eighty-five net yards passing, you're not going to win uh, most times in the modern NFL with that. Um, Dan, I also want to give. Uh, we'll get to Evan Lazar and his, his EPA a little bit later. Completely ignoring the toughness that's necessary to play uh, in the NFL at a high level. But uh, what were your takeaways from the, the last Sunday's win? Our chairs are going to stay in a row because I'm in agreement with what they're saying. I'm echoing the same thoughts. It was such a hard hitting game. Uh, the Titans can match the same sort of violence that the, the Patriots have. That's, that's the thing. That's a difference for the Patriots. And if the Titans can match that, I expect them to go pretty far in the playoffs as well. Um, what John was saying that Vrabel's smart, he'll, he'll take what Belichick was giving him. So that, you know, it was a, it, it was a good chess game there too, as well. Um, this, this Titans team was the same team that undressed the Rams in early November without Henry and, and the Rams, you always think of as this team that, that all the people, the stats people are looking at, oh, well, they've got the, they've got three, uh, wide receiver ones. Well, Woods is gone now, but the the same sort of thing. And here's, here's the Titans just with this strong defense, strong offense and this, this line that's just blowing people off the line. That's. Uh, it's it's an impressive win, regardless of who's uh, missing from that Titan squad. Agreed. And juxtaposing them against the Rams, like I did last week, the Titans play tough physical football. They make you earn it. While the Rams had these three huge additions they got near the trade deadline, uh, Odell Beckham Jr., Von Miller, and Von Miller's piss test guy. So the Titans 
the Titans are a good football team. Is as, as you guys mentioned, they will be formidable uh, should they meet down the road again. I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. Uh, Vinny Jace, our guy, sent in an email. We had a little bit of an analytics discussion last week. And Vinny's email, it's, it's a rather broad scenario, but I'll throw it back to you, Dan, here. Vinny's email is, this scenario always gives me trouble. And you and I were talking about this last night during the Washington-Seattle game. Um, the scenario gives him trouble. You're down eight, and it's fourth and goal in the other team's red zone. There's four or so minutes left in the game. Do you take the three points and trust your defense gets you back the ball, or do you go for broke? Broad strokes, but, you know, what's your lean there? Yeah, you, well, you're missing – I don't know what the situational – details would be to that but I think eight or seven you're going to need, still need the touchdown either way so at eight or seven you take the touchdown six and under as far as the the difference I you, you take the field goal yes yeah, it's it's so tough without the situation depends is Ryan Tannehill your quarterback is the whatever hodgepodge it's, it's been run out there it's, you know the, the Texans are running Mike uh, you're into this kind of stuff. I, my guess is you're going to go for the aggressive option and go for the touchdown. I I would. So I'm, I'm assuming that all of the fourth down bots would say <laughs> yeah. you go for it there, but I, I think it does. It, it matters. Do you have three timeouts? How's your defense playing? You know, those, those are probably the two things that I would look at first in that situation. Um, if I can pivot off this a little bit, the one thing um, that we see a lot of, and I was, I was mentioning it, um, the other night, uh, teams down by by more than uh, more than eight points, though I, I think are, are the interesting one to me because what you see a lot of, of these, even these young analytics driven coaches, uh, offensive minded coaches, going you know down nine points and then taking the um, kicking the three when it's like you know third and third and whatever from the from the fifteen with uh, with a couple minutes left or a minute left where they're going to have to kick an onside kick taking the three. Taking the three there is is one of the things, and that's a it's totally a construct of the human brain. I think yeah. and it assuages you. Oh, we can prolong the game. Let's prolong the game. That's what you got to do. I think that's that that is one where I think I'm totally opposed to that. I don't think you, I think and, and I'm sure Belichick would disagree with me here. I think you got to. <laughs> that's a situation where I think you have to go for the touchdown there. You're going to have to get one eventually, and you're just prolonging the inevitable to make you guys make you feel good about yourself. So that that's one I have. This one I have less of a, a strong feeling with without knowing how everything's have been going timeouts and, and, and all that i think it depends whether as you were inferred or i inferred from what you said if it's a 13 if it's a you know thir- let's say it's 17 to 9 versus 38 to 30 and your defense has been on the field again there's a lot of variables Vinny, in that one right jo- john and i this is a weekly thing john and i via text on sundays if we're watching the red zone i think john you and i are in lockstep you throw points on the pile in the first half as often as you can and you play situational football the rest of the time while remaining aggressive. But what are your yep. thoughts? I know this question jumped out at you. Yeah, it, it's a great question. And it does, there's a lot of variables that, you know, Vinny's not able to cover in the context of that, that question. So where my head goes on it is, and this is, you know, full on Bobo Honkville here, but it is so great to have a coach that I trust. And if you watch other teams and you watch like red zone or whatever, you see what I think is the wrong decision getting made all the time. And it is nice to have a coach who, you know, you just, he, you know, he's, he's executed on all these decisions in the past many, many times. He's forgotten more of these decisions than I would ever know. 45 years in the NFL. Right. Well, I mean, the dude's got an encyclopedic like collection of football played before the forward pass was invented. Like the guy has seen (laughs) everything, right. He's seen it all. And you know, I was thinking about that in the context of the Titans Pats game where they were both trying to bludgeon each other. Right. And, you know, it's like just watching the Patriots with Bill Belichick as the coach. All of us remember watching the Patriots when Bill Belichick wasn't the coach. Right. Yeah. When it was the you know, we've talked about these guys before, the Rusts and the McPhersons and, you know, the, the, the guys of, you know, you know, back then, the. Belichick is just like, I just have the sense of comfort that he's, he is thinking about all these factors and what that's what the bots aren't going to give you. The bots aren't going to give you the context. The bots aren't going to give you the weather conditions. The bots aren't going to give you as Mike on route one said, you know, how your defense is playing at that moment. You know, the bots don't give you the culture of the team and, and your feel for the team as a coach, right? The, the instincts. And, you know, I love data. You know, I, I think I'm getting this probably, you know, 
consistent rut on the podcast of, of ripping on the analytics guys and, and they deserve it. But I do like data. I like data a lot. But you know, data has to be kind of juxtaposed with instinct and experience, right? And feel. And if you're making decisions, I don't care if it's football or business, based exclusively on data, going against you know, your gut and your expertise as a leader, you're going to make bad decisions. I mean, data isn't everything. And you know, Belichick's ability to marry the analytics, we've talked about that in the past, his early adoption and embrace of analytics, mm-hmm. but with his like multi-generational expertise of being the guy making these decisions, it's just, it's like the perfect storm. It's, guy, it's stuff that McVeigh and Staley and these other, this new breed, you know, they may get it someday, but they don't have it now. And if they're relying on the fourth down bot to make their decisions, you know, please play, let's play those guys in the playoffs and see how it goes down. A good, good points all. Uh, I've made this point on the podcast before, Scartelli. The bot doesn't see the confusion on the Seahawks sideline in Super Bowl 49 in the waning seconds. Um, what does your abacus and Magic 8-Ball uh, think about this analytics point brought up by Vinny? Well, uh, if, you, if you'll permit me a brief digression, uh, it just hit me that Vinny's question has the cadence of those old uh, Northeastern School of Business radio spots from 25 <laughs> years ago. It, it just, it, you you got to find them and listen, but they, it's, ex, it's exactly that, uh, exactly that uh, cadence there. But me, I would, uh, I would go for the field goal, but with a drop kick. They wouldn't be expecting it. <laughs> and if you're a, uh, if you're one of the, you know, coaches that, uh, if you're a coach that the media loves, you're going to get into the, uh, you're, they're going to think you're great. Even if you lose the game because you went for it and, and you never know, it could put the other team, you know, on their, uh, on their back foot for the remaining, you know, four, three and a half minutes of the game. Winning the back page is it. That's a jets thing. That's not a Belichick thing. Let's it, it's a, it's absolutely a jets and Mets thing. Uh, back to you, John. Um, you brought this up in the thread, and this this killed me. Evan Lazar killing the Patriots in the first quarter or the first half of the game on on Sunday about not throwing the ball, the negative EPA God. with running the football. There was so Lazar and Alex Barth have both been on this podcast previously. They they work for CLNS, which bought the Boston Sports Journal. She kind of know where they're coming from here. This is a headline or a tweet that they had on Tuesday. Um, Lazar and Barth break down the Patriots' 36-13 win over the Titans in Week 12. They actually tweeted this next sentence. Should we feel better or worse about the Patriots' chances in the AFC after a 23-point win at home over the number one seed, John? Am I taking crazy pills? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to give those guys uh, the benefit of the doubt and think that the – the CLNS, you know, uh, corporation has headline writers and tweet writers. And those guys maybe didn't write that tweet, right? Because that is just absurd. I noticed that Evan later on, he referred to it as like, you know, these the Patriots have first world problems, right? So kind of, you know, kind of uh, kind of washing off the, the stink of that original CLNS tweet and, and kind of recharacterizing it as, you know, maybe the run defense could be tightened up or so. I don't know what they talked about on their pod. I didn't listen to it, but I, I do want to go to the, the point you made about his tweeting in the first half, uh, measuring EPA per run versus EPA per pass. And, and I think the point he made was, you know, why are the Patriots running it? They're struggling to run it. Why not build the entire plane out of, 1.15 EPA pass plays. Like, what are we doing here? Why are we why are we bothering with these 0.16 EPA running plays? And I'm thinking to myself, no, Evan, like all this robber cover dime stuff that you're you're investing your time and energy in and putting up these clips, like you understand how it fits together, right? Like you're not really making this point that the Patriots should abandon the run because it has a low EPA and simply always throw the ball because that will work. Right. Like, I mean, that's like, you, you do know better than this, you know, how it all fits together. You know, those low EPA runs set up play action. It right? ignores, you, you, it ignores the cumulative effect of running the football. Uh, and oh, despite oh the Titans, God. despite the it, Titans running for 270 yards, the time, the time of possession difference was about two and a half minutes. That's it. 
I, I, I just, I don't know what's going on here with like these guys and their, their, their fetishization of data and EPA and like this idea that like football is so interconnected play to play. I mean, everybody knows like the, in their brain, they know they're like, they're shutting off half their brain. I think they know in their brain that McDaniels is setting something up, right? You're set those, those low EPA runs in the first half are designed to set something up later in the game. Right. I mean, it's, it's, that's how they work. I mean, how can you, how can you make a critique like that and then see how much progress Mac Jones has made? See that Mac Jones, not only is he rookie of the year in the NFL this year, he is arguably the greatest player in professional sports right now from a price performance basis. Think about that. That's right? a great point. How, how, how little the Patriots are paying for Mac Jones and the performance they are getting from him. He is the greatest athlete in professional sports right now, right? Because, because money matters and contracts matter. And the Patriots are being are able to build a juggernaut around him and that contract and that performance. And you're going to critique like quarter to quarter EPA and play running to play. the ball. Oh my God. And, and, and what Belichick and McDaniels have built this year. Like, come on, dude. Like, I just don't even get it. I don't even, cause I don't think he's a dumb guy. Like I, I, I respect the hustle, you know, and, and I know you guys have clowned me for, for even going there with him, but it's like, I just, I don't get what the, I think, honestly, I think this, this data fetishization is ruining these young guys. I will I, admit, it makes me sad. I will admit in the moment, and I think Mike is there with me that the Josh McDaniels Memorial run on second down after first down completion at times makes you pull out your hair in the first half, but I get it. Mike, I know you're a huge fan of Lazar's wheel of buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, your thought on that tweet? Uh, yeah, I, I, everything John said is accurate. Uh, and, and to think about it a bit more, uh, you know what a negative EPA run is? A negative EPA run is, is getting three yards on on first down. A negative EPA uh, run is getting three yards on second down after that. So now, you know what I like? I like, I like third and four. Uh, I, I like third and four a lot. <laughs> And, and I like third and four with Mac Jones even more uh, because that's, that's a layup. So those are negative caller. It again, it, it, it not only ignores, it, it ignores the, uh, the, the play to play interconnected. It just isolates that. And it doesn't mean anything. It means yep. nothing. You want to get Mac Jones into third and four. I, I mean, that's, there's nothing, there's nothing else, you know, if nothing else, that's what, that's what you want. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's, it's really crazy to, uh, you know, my, 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 in the past, um, my, with Tom Brady, I have been more frustrated with, with those things, I think a little bit, just because I thought it was a, uh, it, it, there was more bang for your buck, um, throwing the, the short stuff earlier on, but that, you know, that that's, that's water under the bridge, but it really does ignore, have to ignore everything and, and just take everything in a vacuum on that one right, play. Right. And, and that's really the problem with all of these, um, things. And I'm, I think we'll get to another one of those, uh, later on with Mr. Uh, Mr. DVOA. Oh, gee, for the love of God. I think the Patriot, I think we can all agree, you know, pull up the seat to the road chairs that the Patriots defense is really good. And the less time they have to spend on the field, I think the more effective they'll be. So I don't think EPA can take that into account, Dan. Dan, your thoughts on the EPA, um, that line of thinking in real time is, oh, God, it's a reason why I try to stay off Twitter during the game. There's this whole cross-section of football fan that I think at their heart just hates running the ball. you know, And, yep. and we have to re-educate them every time that this has – repercussions for the defense this has repercussions for whether you can pass or not and and complementary is is the whole point of all of this but it continues on and on i think people don't like running the ball at heart unless it works no that's very true i thought it was really interesting that the the titans load the patriots have been bad or say say below average scarcelli running the ball um on toss sweeps running outside outside if you will the titans just jammed everything up inside the Patriots opened up a little bit with, as Mike said, Mac's ability to, to you know, it's, it's, it's house money if he's throwing the ball and somebody's open. Um, your, Scott, tell your thoughts on um, EPA. 
I don't even know what those letters mean in this context. <laughs> That's how little I have a little little concern I have. The libs, I'm, I'm the, actually, libs, the libs at the EPA are coming for the for football now. Exactly. <laughs> but I'm looking. I'm looking at the Patriots on CLNS tweet that was referenced, and there's one quote tweet, two retweets, and four likes on that. That'd be fine if you were Dondero, but for an actual, you know, <laughs> semi-professional podcasting network, you, you got to, I don't know. I don't know how, how they can, they, th- those are bad numbers. One might say CLNS is almost the podcasting network in the same way that we're almost the podcast. You're, you're saying that tweet was a running place, Gartsy? I think that's uh, I think that's the only way we can look at that. Negative EPA in that tweet. Sorry, <laughs> CLNS. <laughs> Uh, John, Aaron Schatz is really wrestling with coach of the year. He thinks Belichick oh. deserves consideration oh, if the yeah, Pats yeah. win the division, especially if they get the one seed. But how much do I downgrade him <laughs> for his horribly conservative play calling this year? I prefer to vote for someone who is good on fourth downs. Um, oh the the mullet still is the non-ironic mullet just drives it home, John. But uh, you're, Aaron Schatz, come on, John. It, it, it's the reptilian cousin of the spulpit coaching like a coward i mean it, what is what is it with these guys it's whether it's epa with lazar or the spulpits or the the fourth down bot and and the poison it's inflicting and now shats with you know i want to vote for the guy coach of the year but i i really kind of wanted to jerk off over somebody who goes for on fourth down a lot you know i mean it's that's a that's a tough one there aaron he must love um, dan campbell you know, seriously, uh, I mean, I guess you could look, I mean, the guy that I always see going for it and fourth and crazy is Staley in San Diego, vote for him for a coach. What, what, what happened? No, they just got waxed by Denver this week and they're outside the playoff picture with the legendary Justin Abair as quarterback. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, I, I don't even get it. Like, first of all, rename the award for Belichick. Second of all, yeah. give him executive of the year as well. Right. And, you know, it is great coming off a six game winning streak and counting hopefully. And these are the tweets we're looking at, you know, is Belichick really coach of the year? I mean, it's, it's, it does feel like a far cry from this time last year, doesn't it? When Belichick was washed and it was all Brady and he can't draft. Now it's, well, he doesn't go for it enough on fourth down and the EPA on the running plays in the second quarter hasn't been up to snuff and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's, it's, the, the next step, the final, the final dead cat bounce of the, of the anti-patriots, you know, nimrods is it's okay to admit he isn't perfect guys. It's okay. It's okay to admit Belichick isn't perfect. Yes. We'll all admit it's okay. It's he's not perfect. He's coach of the year and executive of the year. By the way, it's not nimrod. If you're using the Framingham style book, it's numrod. Just for the record, <laughs> I you know I I did know that. That's I'll take a lap on that one. Yeah, please take a lap on that, Mike Aaron Schatz, uh, DVOA. I mean, that's that's a, a disadvertisement for his service, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and and you did uh, steal my Framingham thunder there. Uh, <laughs> Schatz is another another guy to throw on the pile of of long long uh, in a long line of uh, Framingham weirdos. <laughs> Uh, may he rest in peace but um yeah i know who killed him though just for the record i know who killed him you sound like an unsporting natick man (laughs) i do not i do not shake hands after a loss but uh yeah he um he's a weird guy i think um so i try not to judge him too harshly because he's like uh, just a shoe pissing weirdo Uh, and i had to unfollow him years a couple years ago just like losing his mind like oh just Lots of lots of fainting couches and, and hand wringing. So, but um, you know, for, to the, the it really is like you said to, to, uh, to about the DVOA. It is a, it, he doesn't understand what his own thing is purporting to do. And what I think the usefulness of DVOA is is looking at all three things and how they yeah. can kind of interact and where you can kind of make up ground. I think about the 2011 Patriots, and there was a lot of crying at the time about how they were so bad, the, the worst ranked defense or whatever it was, or the pass defense, defense, right? DVOA, right. right. And 
to me, it was like, well, yeah, look at their special teams, but then look at their offense. Like, look, that's, you, you can win different ways. And that's what Bill figures out of, over, over the course, over the course of that year, their defense did Im- improve significantly the past defense, even with the, the ahead of bot back there at safety. But uh, yeah, he doesn't understand his own thing because I do think there is some use to it. If you look at it, especially you, now you can see how the Patriots are, are winning, right? They're very high in special teams. They're very high in defense. They're creeping up in, in, in offense. So yeah, it looks like, they're going to be one of the three best teams in football and they're number one now, but in their trending, you know, to be a top 10 team in offense as well. So uh, yeah, he, he's basically just ignoring his own kind of thing that of how a team is constructed in, in, in DVOA. Also, I think it shows that complimentary football matters. I do. Uh, think he, he doesn't understand that. Uh, I do. Is, Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I, I have nothing else to say. Yeah. Uh, I agree with you. The DVO, DVOA is a useful tool. Uh, using the, uh, I'll throw it to Dan in a second. The Patriots and the Bills, if you just go by point differential, they're the two best teams in football, and they're meeting in Orchard Park on Monday night. They're the only teams with a plus, uh, over a plus 140 positive point differential. Dan, uh, your thoughts on Aaron Schatz? There's always been this crazy dance that they do with Belichick, uh, reasons for him to be coach of the year, reasons not. Uh, there's people that try to find that wild card coach that, oh, they got three wins last year, and they've got nine wins this year. So, uh, we should punish or, you know, penalize Belichick because we expected him to be at whatever it was. Um, but there's also the multitude of years where, you know, you hear it every, every single time. Oh, this is the best coaching job he's ever done. We heard it in 2008 with with Matt Castle or, or, or uh, 2010, uh, 2013 and 2015 with injuries, 2018 with changing, changing it up on the fly to the run, running team. And they, they just find stupid reasons to remove him as a candidate. It, it, it really is the mental gymnastics that a lot of the media goes. And Schatz is actually purports to be a Patriots fan, believe it or not. Um, yeah, the mental just gymnastics that most of the media does, uh, it, really, it really comes off as disingenuous. And um, Scartelli, wrap it up. I suppose uh, if Bill doesn't care about the uh, Coach of the Year uh, accolades, the rest of us have to for his benefit because he's, he's certainly a, he certainly has uh, deserved it and gotten uh, shut out unfairly over his uh, over his twenty plus years of coaching. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, uh, to thinking about one thing that I I, I tend to see uh, to Dan's point, you know, you do see there's always this. Oh, this is Belichick's best coaching job ever, and to me, it it is often a function of how much how negative the media was earlier in the year. And when Belichick and the Patriots do what the Patriots <laughs> yeah. do, they're like, Oh, wow. Like, am I shocked at this? I'm not like, I don't think you should get coaches here just because I'm, I'm not surprised that Bill Belichick with a rookie QB who I thought was going to be really good. Um, and, and uh, however many millions suspended free agency, what you didn't think they're going to be good. This is exactly, I mean, they've lost more games than I thought they would. So <laughs> come on. So, yeah, I mean, obviously he's the coach of the year, but come on. Yeah, there's been a lot of love for um, the, the media darling down there in Arizona, Kingsbury, and the, the media-savvy coaches out in the NFC West, uh, Pete Carroll aside. By the way, Pete, Pete Carroll, so sad. So sad. Goodbye. Um, let's go to the emails, entitledtown at gmail.com. First email comes from uh, Jonathan in Denver. Hi, guys. First time, long time, as they say. He lives in Denver, so the pot is a bit of a lifeline in the sea of loathed Broncos orange. Agreed. Oh. Unfortunately, he has his radio on at times. Spoiler, turn off your radio, Jonathan. And he doesn't get the Kyle Van Noy hate, Mike. Uh, the radio, Mac, radio men act like he's some scrub when all he does is make plays in both the game and in the community. He was featured in the Wall Street Journal for real estate savvy and seems game to do media. I would count that as actually a negative towards Van Noy because he kind of likes to do that. He annoyed the fuck out of me when he was with the Dolphins last year. Yappity, yappity, yappity. He seems like a good interview. Why do they dump on him, Mike? Whose dog did he kick to earn the 98.5 hate? Maybe he wished death on Jim Murray's children. I don't know. Um, Mike, your thoughts on Van Noy? Yeah, I, that, you know, I, I certainly, um, I, I got, I did get a bit annoyed with the, um, with the boogeyman thing. Um, yes. So, but I feel like they're in the yappy, 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 of course. Um, <laughs> but uh, he, by all appearances is a good guy he and his wife do a lot for um you know uh, foster or adoptive children yep um so it doesn't surprise me that you know mike michael felger and tony maserati and that fucking loser who was wrong 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 and also nice senior picture stupid 
your dumb hat. Um, Jim, big Jim, and your shitty ketchup. Uh, it doesn't surprise that he bothers them because uh, he, by all appearance, he's he's a good guy and he's a really good player who's been really. Uh, he was great. Uh, I wish he had caught that pick, but uh, he, oh, yeah. he was. He's been he's been just really solid, and you know I think it was he probably had a growing thing going on earlier in the year, so people were ready to bury him. So it's even it's even better now. Um, so uh, you know anything I said last year uh, about KVN, I, I take back. Fair enough. Uh, he was Dan. I think it's fair to say that Van Noy is right up there with the best trade deadline acquisitions maybe in league history. Uh, Van Noy annoys the radio men. Good for him. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, I, makes me a fan if he if he if he's annoying the the right people you know, but it's what, what I love the linebackers they have what depth yeah. and having him coming off actually does he start some comes off the bench some it's it's, it's beautiful heaven that depth at linebacker that's a great point they have the thumpers with Bentley and Hightower Hightower is playing just an unbelievable level of football right now they have the lighter guys the Ushays the Judons uh, coming off the listen to me throwing around Lazar buzzwords, coming off the edge in the robber scheme. Scartelli, uh, Van Noy, um, the radio men hate him. We like him. Is there a connection there? Yeah, probably. What do you think? Oh, yeah. The, you know, and the, like we've said, there's a couple of reasons not to like him. He was, uh, he was shamelessly, uh, you know, uh, trying to win some sort of award on, uh, on Twitter a few, uh, his last season with uh, the Patriots. That was yeah, a bit, a bit off-putting. But that, that's not the reason why the uh, radio talking men dislike him. And uh, he was just uh, like uh, like the folks on the Entitled Weekend. I, you know, I can't uh, I don't want to just be uh, plagiarizing them like I'm, uh, you know, a Portuguese man of war or something. But uh, they, they did a good job bringing up that, you know, he was, you know, the fact that he was, you know, rescued from the scrap heap from the lions. <laughs> that uh, that means that uh, Belichick saw value in him. How about that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to believe that they could pull him off the scrappy. KVN, is, is John, your thoughts on Van Noy and the radio men's just loathing of him, which, you know, Van Noy does hawk T-shirts like he's Dave Portnoy from time to time, but uh, I like the player caller. What do you think, John? Uh, I got to take issue with what Scartsy said. Uh, if Belichick really liked him, Scartsy would have drafted him. And, 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 Good and, point. <laughs> and, and, uh, but I will piggyback off of the, the entitled weekend shout out. These guys... I don't know if Shaq, uh, you know, uh, learned your password, Mike, and, and snuck into your inbox and took this email, but he covered it in the in the weekend pod. I thought they did a really nice job talking about it, and I've been enjoying those guys. Insert Sean Michaels' gif here. Um, <laughs> they've been they did a nice job covering this question as well. So I'll I'll kind of cut it there. Yeah, I did. I I forwarded it to Shaq, but I thought we could cover it as well. Uh, the next email comes from old friend Norwood Zip, our buddy from the board. Uh, Walter wants us sends us his one title power rankings as of, as of November 29th. The one the one team dynasty. His listing is uh, the 85 Bears is in the number one spot. The Dungy Peyton Colts are in the number two spot. The Legion of Boom Seattle Seahawks are number three, and the Breeze Peyton Saints are number four. I want to honorary uh, mention goes to the 86 Mets. Uh, do we do we like uh, Mike? Do you like Walter's rankings of the one uh, one title power dynasty rankings? Yeah, those are very good. Um, and I always, um, the, the, the reason that I always rank not because I, because I think the 2016 game, uh, Super Bowl is the, the greatest NFL game of all time, but I, there, there's a group of the, the Jim Murray Maserati types who fetishize the 2014 one because it went against, uh, your, your, your Seattle Seahawks and the Legion of Boom. And it's just oh, like, it just I, I just hate the hardo, like fetish, fetishizing of that defense. They were good. They were really good defense. They were tough. But you know what? The other guys on, on, on the Patriots side, they, they were on varsity too. So on defense. So give me a break. But, uh, and the 85 Bears, shout out to, um, to, to old friend uh, Pat67 uh, on Twitter, who um, always made me laugh with his, with his quote, I think it was who said about Ditka, who what was it? Uh, shucked and jived his way into a lifetime of selling boner pills based off of one <laughs> game. So that always, that always makes me laugh when I think of the 85 Bears. And, and it also, you know, it was my first trauma. It was like, that was like the priest, uh, you know, giving me the old what for <laughs> out in the sacristy. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Jesus. God, oh. um, 
I'm going to have to. Uh, no, don't move on yet. I, I, I'm going to take a, take exception to with Walter. I love Walter, but you know he's wrong on this. I think you have to flip the uh, Saints and uh, the Dungey, uh, Dungey Peyton, uh, Dungey Peyton Colts because they beat uh, they beat the Colts. Thank God for that. Thank God for those. The, the, for, and for again, those the surprise play is that surprise onside kick to start the second half. Yep. I'd also like to, uh, Walter, thanks for the question. I would also like to, uh, to give, pay respect to my favorite all-time zero title dynasty, the Dan Marino, Don Shula Dolphins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, what, what, what a bunch of just feckless assholes who turtled time and again coming to Foxborough against the really good Patriot teams that played in the Zares parking lots. Hey, 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 Mike, in that vein, I'm going to throw one in that Walter missed, and that is the 1989 Oakland A's sandwiched between two World Series losers, two World Series losers to the Dodgers and the Reds, two series that they probably should have won, only winning the one in 89 against the Giants. They went one and eight in the 88 and 90 World Series. They won one game. Of course, they were much better when I ran them in Stratomatic, but that, that's a different podcast. Yeah, that's what's when you were using loaded dice when we were playing Stratomatic as kids. Uh, the last question comes, uh, th- I think this will, another one that's right up Mike on Route One's Alley. This is from Tom, Tom in New Hampshire. Uh, he wants us to help him out. Does any other team in the NFL have a post-game show on their flagship station hosted by two men who openly hate the team for whom they host the show? Mike? Uh, is, is the post-game show, is it the same as the pre-game show? Is it uh, Bertrand and Gasper? I don't hate myself enough to listen to it. We know, so we know we actually don't know. That's pretty great, actually. <laughs> I, I like that. This is not a bit, and, and we're we're absolutely sincere. Um, but uh, but I, I, the the I heard the pregame um, for several minutes in the car when I was running out for um, for something the other Sunday morning. Um, coming back from mass, of course, probably. But um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and just the the confidence with which, uh, you know, to Dan's point from last week, of course, Chris Gasper using no 25 cent words and Mark Bertrand, just the absolute confidence with which a man as himself speaks is, is, is pretty galling. So um, the answer is, uh, I don't I don't think other teams have that same problem here. Um, and, and someday we will play the the Mike on Route one um, call to Mark Bertrand um, after Ooh. the, uh, the yeah. Casey opener <laughs> in 2018, 2018. Yeah. 17 i forget yeah 17 i guess we'll we will play that uh someday yeah that's that's one of the all-time great moments uh, dan you, there's three of us that live in different nfl cities dan uh does, does, does the broadcast team in your area hate their they hate the team are you aware of that oh no no they're homers mm-hmm. they're yes yeah, some un, uh, unashamed homers for sure I was, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm so grateful that I don't live in the area where I, I'd be possibly picking up, picking it up inadvertently on the radio, you know, to go, go run an errand. I don't have to hear any of that pregame. It's bad enough getting it by osmosis being on this podcast. So we can, yeah. as, as Mike pointed out, we can opine the shit we have absolutely no idea about, but that doesn't stop them either. So the, the floor is even Scartelli. Um, why is the Patriots, uh, pre and post game show the worst the worst and why is the answer also mark bertrand <laughs> what do you it say is, to you scarcy uh there's not there's not much to say I, I don't i don't get it i it's it's some sort of uh some sort of plato's cave thing where you know people <laughs> are people are decided that oh yeah these guys are terrible so that they must be they must actually be good it doesn't make any sense. It's not, uh, uh, there's, it's, I don't know, it's Stockholm syndrome. It's any number of things, but it's, it's not, it's not, it's not good radio for someone who actually enjoys the team mm-hmm. and watching the games. It's true. I, I talk about this with John often. John, you and I talk about this is that when I'm down in the Bay visiting you guys and I turn on KNBR and the Niners yep. talk and the Giants talk and the A's talk, yep. it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's sports talk and it's actually fun. It's not this self-loathing, uh, you know, morass of negativity to use Ted Sarandis's words. Yeah, it's it's out here in the West. They don't prey on people's anger and emotions. I mean, these guys are these guys are predators on the radio. You know, they are preying on, I would say, like, did you say pedos or predators? <laughs> yes. Uh, to use your line. Um, 
you know, they're, they're preying on, I would say, largely weaker minded people and, and purposefully fucking with them. Right. That's that's all they're doing. And, you know, when they cut to commercial, they're all laughing and high fiving at how stirred up they got, you know, Matt and Framingham. Like, oh, boy, we really got Matt and Framingham stirred up even more today than on Tuesday. Right. You know, it's like that's the game they're playing. And what I don't really and you don't see that out, out here. You don't see that on the West Coast. They're not playing that game. And certainly there's there's, you know, cynicism and, and negativity when it's warranted, but it's not like the the business the business in boston is the negativity and the cynicism and the the preying on people and i'd say that what i don't really understand is the market inefficiency because these guys are all derivative of one another you know they're all derivative of felger and they're all playing the same game and and one of them happens to be better at it than all the others but there's a market inefficiency here there is a market for reasonable takes there's a market for for optimism there's a market for liking the team and i just other than mike reese like i don't why isn't anybody exploiting that why isn't one of the radio shows going for that you know and 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 i'm sorry that makes them the uncool kid in the radio studios because they actually like the team but like to me that's the glaring market inefficiency i mean what's the station that's getting its its you know pants ripped off and and you know getting destroyed in the ratings they may as well just go the other model dei is 98.5 but dumber they can't they can't out felger felger so why not just go the reese model and and actually like the teams they cover like i don't know why they don't try that it's a fair question it's all it's all heels and no baby faces is what it comes down to right that's exactly it's it's uh i prefer you know i'm going to you know i forget Who's the fellow, you know, who, you know, tells the crowd to shut up while he takes off his robe? Ravishing Rick Rick Rude. Oh, of course, of course. (laughs) Now hit my music. (laughs) He's telling all the honks and bobos that they're, you know, the Patriots are actually no good. (laughs) It's like the broad on the loudspeaker in Private Riot. Uh, You know, like the Statue of the guy, the Statue of Liberty is kaput. Like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um. We're going to do something a little bit out of order here. I'm going to give the email address once again. It's entitledtown at gmail.com. Uh, we'll go to final thoughts here in a second. Uh, Entitled Weekend is the uh, is appropriately enough the weekend show. They're at Entitled Weekend. Their email address is entitledweekend at, at gmail.com. Um, I'll lead off with final thoughts here. Um, I have two of them. The first one is I'm, I'm not angry. I'm disappointed in Scartelli taking a sideswipe at the turkey ep- drop episode of WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> we'll agree to disagree on that one. And speaking of pedos, my other final thought has to do with Gary Tangway, author. Tangway drops the deuce into the timeless art of seducing. And here's another ham-fisted Seinfeld comparison. It's J. Peterman level erotica, or perhaps no erotica. Do yourself a favor and follow General, General Stephen Reisner from Entitled Weekend, he's reading Tangway's drivel so you don't have to, and the excerpts are real, and they are not spectacular. The unintentional humor scale has been broken, but if you're a fan of swamp ass, Camaros, and dungarees, make sure you pick up a copy of Harlequin Presents Gary Tangway's The Arm and the Fall and tell them Billy Blowjob sent you. Uh, Scott Tilly, your final thoughts. Go ahead. My final thought is actually a question. Where did this Mac can't play in the cold thing spontaneously generate from i have no idea it it just showed up uh like an hour before game time and it it it, did you know spun around for a while and then was you know disproved it's the same thing that spun up when the six foot two a six foot two or six foot three inch mac jones was called out as short um towards the beginning of the season right um dan you are you are on the clock go please go ahead like I wanted to ask you, did you and Dave ever have a, a, a pod where you went after Peter King? I think we just took some uh, some side swipes at him. Yeah, because I feel like he's 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 eluded our derision on on this on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And, and you know maybe that's a good thing. It shows how much his star has fallen. He he got on my radar this week when he criticized Bill Belichick's views on the Hall of Fame. Belichick was saying how happy he was to see Richard Seymour and Vince Wilfork named as semifinalists for this year's class and disappointed that Rodney Harrison didn't make it. But here's what Belichick said that attracted King's ire. 
Hall of Fame's out of control since there's no criteria for the Hall of Fame. It's really hard to even have a conversation about it, Belichick said, because they're not basing it on anything. It's your opinion, your opinion of a great player, my opinion of a great player, someone else's opinion of a great player. I don't know what that means. Is it how many years they played, how many all pros they had, how many championships they won? Is it individual stats? You can make it whatever you want to make it. So there's no criteria. You can make a case for everybody and ultimately the voters have to do decide. So this echoed something I once heard Todd Rundgren say about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He said, some arbitrary bunch of people get together and hand out awards at a fancy event according to rules nobody really understands. Rundgren for years was snubbed by the hall, but he never gave a damn about it. He once said any Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that didn't have Motorhead, Thin Lizzy or T-Rex should just blow up the process. For some reason, this year, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame actually did induct Rundgren, but he still wouldn't dance for them. That night of induction, he was 250 miles down the road playing a gig in Cincinnati. It'd be great if we could all think that way. But players have pride and value their legacies. And unless they play nice and with the right writers, there's little they can do to influence process beyond what they achieved in their careers, which should be enough in the first place. King, rather than considering the virtue of Belichick's point, instead got defensive. But somehow Belichick being right was somehow a reason we're supposed to give the writers more slack. Jesus. Well, of course, there's no criteria for the Hall of Fame, King wrote. To my knowledge, that is the case with most, if not all, Halls of Fame. Like Belichick was suggesting, shouldn't that be a reason to rethink the process? Mm -hmm. King's as bad as any of them in the room, vacillating back and forth on what qualifies as a Hall of Famer. Sometimes it's numbers, sometimes it's honors, sometimes it's longevity. He had a mailbag a few years back where he defended Terrell Davis's induction in one breath, and then in the next said Joe Klecko didn't play long enough for consideration. He tries to find back doors for players he likes who don't have the numbers, like suggesting that Heinz Ward, Heinz, excuse me, Heinz Ward should merit inclusion for being such a good blocker as a receiver. He also said Ward led the league in smiles, so there's that. <laughs> On Harrison, King said that Belichick was being biased toward his own guy. If Belichick never coached Rodney Harrison, would he be advancing his cause? King wrote, I doubt it. But then King's blind to his own biases and that of his hall mm -hmm. brethren. He quotes Paul Zimmerman at whose altar he prays. King wrote, as the late Paul Zimmerman used to preach, you watch this guy play. Is he a Hall of Famer? Was he truly one of the greats of his day? Ah, yes, the ever-reliable eye test. And this is the same Paul Zimmerman, by the way, who vowed Ken Stabler would never be inducted while he had something to say about it, and later said the same thing of Randy Moss. Thankfully for them, he couldn't speak when they both got in. Oh. Oh. Dr. Z is not the only one. You've got Ron Borges oh. with his assorted agendas, Tony, uh, Tony Dungy now with his phony virtue signaling, mm -hmm. and even that hack, John Clayton, his is still a hall voter. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's true that all halls of fame have no criteria, nothing can be done about that. And if that's the case, maybe the answer is to change the criteria for who gets to vote on these things. And one final point, Curly Culp passed away this week. Tell me who, between Bill Belichick and Peter King, is better versed in telling you the story of Curly Culp. Who do you think studied film of Culp? Could tell you who he played alongside, who he faced, or, or what was special about his technique? Who between Bill Belichick and Peter King could recite all of that off the cuff? Do we want to hear it from the guy who's been coaching the league for 46 years or the guy who just wasn't feeling the terror in the Anne Frank house experience? Why is Peter <laughs> King the hall voter? Well, uh, Dan's eloquent murders in the, uh, the sports reporter segment of Entitled Town is, <laughs> is always worth a listen. Uh, John, do you want to follow that with your final Look, thought? What the fuck? Why do I get to follow that shit? I mean, you, can't you know, I mean, Dan, Dan's going off like real sports reporter style there, like really good, way better than Lupica, Dan. That was way better. I uh, no, I mean, yeah, okay, I'll follow that. I got a couple. You know, you're talking quick hits and side swipes. I had a couple side swipes on my mind. Not nearly up to the level of what Dan just laid down, though. Um, I saw Brian, our old friend Brian Burns, went viral. And I'm old enough to remember when Stefan Gilmore was traded to the win now Panthers. I think it was about six weeks ago. Um, and, and the Panthers were in the news this week, Brian Burns back in the news this week, going viral screaming at his teammates as they get throttled once again. And then the video cut off before he ripped off his prosthetic and beat Stefan Gilmore over the head with it. 
So I, I, yeah, I mean, good luck to those guys the rest of the way. And I'll say this, I am thinking Brian Flores is back on the back off the Belichick coaching tree. Uh, the turnaround down in, in Miami is uh, disconcerting for all of us who hate the dolphins. Uh, Flores looks like he's doing a pretty good job down there again. Um, other than that, I, oh, I'll say this. If anyone saw Russell Wilson's touchdown pass in the first half of the uh, miserable game played, was it last night? Seems like it was Monday, three days yeah. ago. Um, and the, the you know, thoughts and prayers to the elves. Uh, don't suspect Seattle is going to be selling out in December. The That was not a – no PFF points for that touchdown pass because the defender's hands should have knocked it down. So <laughs> that tells you everything you need to know about PFF scoring and the sub- subjective nature of it. If the defender should have made the play, can't give the quarterback any credit. Anywho. Yeah, the DFS stuff is, is real. I'd like to, to trampoline off of John's point. The six weeks ago uh, with Brian Burns, Bill Belichick was on the hot seat six weeks ago. Six wins later, the seat isn't yeah. so hot. Let's go to Mike on route one for his final thought. Mike, the floor is yours. Yeah, I, um, I've been thinking a lot about Mac because I, I feel like I haven't talked about him enough on here. I feel like we, uh, we, focus on, <laughs> we, we focus on, we do focus on some of the defensive players and some of the other free agent acquisitions. But at what point have you seen enough? And I, I don't mean that in a way because I think he is getting the national recognition certainly at this point, even if it isn't from the mouth breathing fans, that's not, that's not going to happen anytime soon. They're still holding out on Brady. So, you know, I, I don't expect the Mac uh, them to realize how good Mac is at this point. But uh, even in among, I think fans, uh, I think there, there still seems to be this hesitancy to not put your chips in. And, and I'm here to encourage people to put your chips all the way in. Um, the example I've, I've used a couple of times with friends and, and uh, Facebook uncles is uh, is Jason Tatum. You watch Jason Tatum, the, that first summer league game. If you watch Jason Tatum's first summer league game and at the end of that game, you didn't say, okay, that, that, that's a guy who's going to be a 10 time all-star. I think you're looking for reasons to um, to be conservative and to, and to hedge your bets because that's exactly what he looked like. And that's what he's playing like. Um I think the same thing is true for Mac. There are very few, uh, certainly recent rookie quarterbacks who have played this well. I think there's a small handful of, of players um, that could be cautionary tales that have played well as rookies and then maybe regress. So there's your Danny Dimes, Baker Mayfield would be one and, and Gardner Minshew. Those, those are like the recent ones that are like, okay, but I just, I, I don't think any of those guys ever passed the eye test to the degree that that mac jones has mac jones i think based on everything based on production based on eye test based on what the Patriots look for in a quarterback looks like a top five quarterback for you know a decade plus and that's that's what i'm seeing and i just encourage everybody to go all the way and on that take and, and, and be take committed there you go um but before i throw it back to mike entitletown at gmail.com I'll bring Rivera in in the ninth. Mike, uh, Mike, the floor is yours. And, uh, we're going to ha- have a different ending today. Al and Patino have the week off. So, uh, Mike, it's yours. Yeah, so I think the writer um, of that book that we that you discussed uh, previously, Iron, uh, <laughs> I think he may have misread the last 20 years of antiheroes, um, for one, and, and <laughs> what makes us identify and sympathize with them. And it definitely is not uh, rampant misogyny. <laughs> I mean, there's more issues in that book with women than a, than a Bill Simmons column from 2001. Um, but look, I'll give Gary the benefit of the doubt uh, and assume that the suits, um, whoever the suits are in a self-published book, um, before the suits got their hands on it, um, it, it was a really a, a wonderful, um, a wonderful work, uh, biting, biting satire, maybe. Um, so this is what I think what we're about to hear is what I think he may have uh, wanted to say. Um, and the following, of course, is, is a work of fiction. Um, any resemblance to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And that's dead in the uh, corporeal sense, as well as in the metaphysical sense, um, for those that may be dead on the inside from decades of pretending to be mad about an April loss to the <laughs> Orioles. Um, and with that said, you know, my, my lifelong, my, one of my heroes, of course, is the great Dana Hersey. So, I just want to say Claude Rains, Mary Asher, and Terry Tankway, Major League Dick. 
there was a pounding somewhere, faint and distant. His first thought in that fitful place between drunken sleep and consciousness was that the bongo drum thump was the start of a hangover. His eyes flipped open and he found himself in his office, hungover. But that wasn't where the noise was coming from. He leaned back in his desk chair, craning his neck to the drawn blinds, slipping a finger between the wooden slats, ragged sunlight slipping in. He held on to a faint hope that maybe he was back home on the farm in Maine. Hell, maybe the pounding was a German howitzer and he'd never left the Meuse Argonne on the Western Front. Either would be preferable to Los Angeles. Shit. He realized now that the noise was coming from the frosted glass of his office door, and he turned to it, a shadow on the other side, thrumming a fist on the stenciled letters he now read in reverse. Terry Tankway, Major League Dick. He buckled his belt and grunted a, Who is it? The door swung open, and it was a dame, a broad, a coos. Coos. That's right. He knew this woman's face, knew her blonde garbo page boy do, though he'd wager that the basement, vagina, didn't match the attic, hair. But coo she was, though Tank couldn't quite recall the full surname. He ran through the Rolodex of cabbage-eating countries in his brain. Kuzichik. Kuzovich. Narek. That was it. Kuznarek. A Polak. You knew Christ wasn't born in Warsaw because he couldn't find three wise men or a virgin, and Tank was sure he wasn't looking at the latter. She had pins the length of the El Camino Real, and torpedoes that could have sank the Lusitania. As she stepped into the office and took a drag from a smoke, Tank thought of the line from the Tommy Dorsey song, A Case of the Big Sads. A Chesterfield on her lips, and that swivel in her hips. Tank knew the face and name because a week ago, Colton Miner had shown up in his office. He knew who Cole, he knew who Cole Miner was, that's for sure. Colt was the reason Tank was no longer in sports, and instead plying his trade as a private dick. After he was unceremoniously shown the door like someone who gets paid by the act, and not by the hour. He thought that maybe he could get on with the LAPD and the low stakes unit, but apparently the boys down at City Hall frowned upon beating on war heroes and golden boy ballplayers even when they deserve it. Cole Miner was the 40-year-old quarterback of the Hollywood Land moguls. He'd had his leg blown off in Bella Wood and came back and played on a prosthetic. At 35, he'd been washed up, and Tank, in his role covering the entire league for the Times, had asked, shooting straighter than a Mormon gunfighter, if it wasn't time to hang it up. He hadn't won the whole shebang in nearly a decade, after all. Miner got lippy, and Tank had wrapped him on the beezer, and in a skirmish, he managed to get his fake leg off and whack him upside the head with it over and over, knocking him backward into a laundry cart. He left him there, bloodied and beaten. It wasn't the first time he'd thrown hands with a jock. Back in Boston, he had caught center fielder Baby Doll Jacobson sliding into home plate, sex, with his girlfriend, and made like Jack Dempsey on the speed bag with Baby Doll's noggin. After pummeling Miner, Tank woke up the next morning at noon to a ringing phone. His editor was on the line, telling Tank his services were no longer needed. What's worse is that while Miner laid in that laundry cart, a Mexican orderly named Alejandro happened upon him and offered his services as a body man to nurse the star back to health. He had what the papers called Manos Magicas, magic hands, and suddenly Cole wasn't so washed up anymore. The moguls started winning again, and his career was revived. Given their history, it was a surprise when Miner stepped into, into his office last week. Tank was suspicious, thinking Miner was here to take some revenge, so he slid his hand under his desk until he felt cold steel in his palm. But Miner wasn't here for that. He came in peace, so Tank poured himself five fingers of rocked-out whiskey and offered some to Miner, who he knew didn't drink. Without a word, Miner flopped the boudoir cheesecake pictures of Kuznarek down on the desk. Tank th thought they looked a bit queer, as if this clam had taken the pictures herself. What kind of ridiculous notion was that? Tank immediately threw up his hands and told Miner if he was looking to arrange some kind of back alley coat hanger deal for the skirt he'd knocked up, that wasn't his bag. <clears throat> Miner told him that wasn't it. She'd been stalking him, sending him love letters and these pictures, showing up at his place on Mulholland looking to entice him into bed. Miner refused, and that's when Kuznarek used the one weapon she had, fresh newsprint. You see, Miner explained, Kuznarek was the anonymous writer of the I column at the Times, which appeared under the byline, Molly Usk. Tank knew it well, though he had always assumed there was no one person behind it, like their mysterious restaurant reviewer of the ghostly apparition of appetite, 
that was really three brothers who used it as an excuse to shake down local greasy spoons in exchange for good reviews. Turns out this Kuznarek was the one and only person behind the eye column. The weekly piece always featured thinly veiled blind items with salacious gossip about all levels of local celebrity. After Miner had refused to take her to Slam Central Station, Kuznarek had published this particular blind, which QBQT and his body man are known to get a little more handsy than just their regular deep tissue massages. Miner hit the roof like a diuretic pigeon and threatened legal action. Kuznarek said she'd keep publishing this kind of gossip unless Miner gave her the one thing that her Dust Bowl dry womb needed, a rug rat. So that's when Miner decided he needed to get his hands dirty, and he knew no one dirtier than Tank. He wanted Tank to find something on this broad to get her to back off. Tank looked down at the photos and studied them, then back up to Miner, looking at the shoe polish hair that was darker at the temples than a carload of assholes. It was nothing more than a terrible dye job. What vanity, Tank had thought. Tank wasn't opposed to taking the gig. Miner's greenbacks were legal tender, of course, but there was something about this one. It felt messy, and Tank didn't like messy. He had a natural predilection for Messi himself in his personal life, so keeping business clean, even as one as dirty as private dicking, was important. Tank stiff-armed him like Red Grange, and Miner had left in a huff. Tank hadn't given it another thought until this Kuznarek showed up on his door. People engaged in the type of shenanigans that Kuznarek was didn't usually come into the office looking to dine themselves out. So the two of them sat there in silence for a moment, Kuznarek pulling seductively on her heat stick. Finally, when she didn't say anything, Tank told her to get the flap under the meter was going to start running. What's the shit, sister? He finally asked, growing impatient. She smiled and told Tank that she needed a scoundrel, and there was no bigger one in a city lousy with them than Tank. She said the cops were looking to pin a murder on someone, and she was the prime suspect. Tank was more confused than a nun in a cucumber patch at this point. What murder? he asked. Kuznarek dug in her purse and unfolded the front page of the afternoon edition of the Times. There it was, in black and white. Coal miner's masseuse, Alejandro Guerra, had taken the nap. The body man was now in a body bag. And we're going to stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team.